Welcome to the New Vision Church podcast. New Vision Church is a diverse, Bible-teaching, Jesus-centered church in San Diego, California, and exists to transform people and their communities by replicating followers of the biblical Jesus. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's this week's sermon. Um, Hey guys, um, we're going to continue on with our sermon series uh, on discipleship this morning. So if you could turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to look at verses 1 through 15. It's really the whole chapter. We're just going to do a flyby on it as we're going to still continue on with this series. As I was in Arizona, we, Julie and I had the opportunity to uh, visit with a great friend of ours. Uh, she, actually, I did ministry with her over 30 years ago in this community. I wanted to tell you a little bit about her story because this morning we're going to talk about uh, a disciple's generosity this morning. Uh, she did a lot of work with young people in this community, in the City Heights community, when we, I first moved down to San Diego. And one of the things that God put on her heart was to be a foster parent. And uh, so she became a foster parent to minister to some young kids. And what had happened is that she was able to take these two young men, uh, little boys, and actually they were probably maybe three to five years old at the time, came from a kind of a traumatic uh, background. Um, there was addictions, a lot of different things happening in the home, and so they were removed from the home, and she took them in. But she ultimately adopted them and when they were about five years old and four years old. One of them was severely traumatized and um, had a lot of learning disabilities. And because he had a lot of learning disabilities, there was a lot of trauma in his life. He was actually very violent growing up. And she wasn't sure this friend of mine wasn't sure if she should adopt him. And she went before the Lord and, and began to praying, God, if you want me to take these kids in, I'm open, but really speak to me. And she had a dream and a vision. And the dream and the vision was this per, per, of a horse that was wild and that she couldn't contain it. She couldn't control it. But the vision showed Jesus riding the horse saying, I'm going to calm this, this horse down. If you just take it, I'm going to ride him out. So she ended up adopting um, these two young men. They are older now. One's 29 and one's in his 30s. One is now, went on to college, is married, has two grandkids, and is an educator at a junior high school. The other, his name is Hosea. She changed his name to Hosea from Jose was the one that struggled with disabilities. He only has like a second grade level. But the interesting thing is over the years, God has ministered to this young man. And as his mom said, I watched as God began to change his heart. He got a job at McDonald's, cooking for McDonald's. And what he did, he began to take on this characteristic and there was this homeless man that would come in. And every day he would buy dinner for this homeless man and they wouldn't just give him food, but every day he would sit down and have dinner with this homeless man. His mom would pull up to McDonald's and see him sitting in the stalls ministering to this homeless man. And finally, one Mother's Day, this homeless man came to church. This young man grew up with some troubled backgrounds and trauma in his life, but God began to heal him, and now he became this generous giver to caring for people, caring for the least of these, the last and the lost of these. As a testimony of a love, he, his generosity enhanced the gospel. 
want to talk to you about the disciples' generosity. We've been looking at what a disciple is the last couple of weeks. We looked at the, the cost of discipleship, and then we looked at the, the disciplines of discipleship as we studied the, studied the Word, and then we looked at prayer, we looked at fellowship, then we looked at service. In the next couple of weeks, we're actually going to be looking at the application of discipleship. What does a disciple really look like? What is the fruit of a disciple? When you come to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 15, it's really the fruit of a follower of Jesus because it's about the believer's generosity. There is a great need going on in Jerusalem. In fact, we know that the church had begun to grow, and on the first Pentecost Sunday, there was a preaching, and Peter did, and 3,000 came to know Jesus. What a crazy thing when you started with a, in a room of 120 people and the church grew to 3,000 people overnight. And in that time, there began to have persecution, and there was a great famine in Jerusalem. And because there was a great famine in Jerusalem, Paul's writing to this church that's located in Greece to the Gentile believers and say, listen, I know you made a commitment to bless the people and the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, so I'm going to be sending a young man named Titus to you, and he's going to be taking up an offering so you can bless and be generous to the believers in Jerusalem that are hurting. Brothers and sisters helping brothers and sisters from different parts of the world. That's the context to what's happening in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's pray as we enter into this. Father in heaven, we thank you again for your love and your blessings and your goodness and your mercy and grace. And I pray this morning as we enter into the study of your word, Father, we begin to see what you created us to be as generous disciples, Lord. Father, we pray the Spirit speak this morning. We pray that as we walk with you, as we journey with you, Lord, you would begin to lead us into the things that are true and noble and right. Father, we would bear the fruits of discipleship in our own life, that there is actually uh, an application to our theology. There's actually an application to what we believe. It's just not something we receive. It's something that we also give away. And I pray this morning your Holy Spirit would speak to us. In Jesus' name I pray. And everybody say Amen, amen. We're going to look at three things out of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Number one, generosity provides an opportunity for ministry. We look at that in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. There are three types of givers in the church. There's the flint, there's the sponge, and there's the honeycomb. Right? To get anything from the flint, you need a hammer in order to, to break it up to get pieces and to start a spark. Sometimes in the giver, you want to start the spark of the hardness of the heart. You have to break it down a little bit. There's the sponge. The sponge, you got to squeeze it to get the water out, right? And sometimes you have to squeeze hard in order to get more water out. And they got to feel the pressure of giving a little bit. But then there's the honeycomb. The, the honeycomb is simply overflows with sweetness. The church is called to be the sweetness to the world, to be the generosity to the world. See, I want you to understand this morning, number one, as we look at these opportunity, generosity is a ministry. Generosity is a ministry. I'm going to cue up a video this morning. I want you to see 
what you guys have contributed to as we talk about generosity being a ministry. Go ahead and play it. Uh, we never expected second wave will bring such a great devastation. Hundreds and thousands of people have been affected with the virus. And many people died within a daytime. Many people whom I know, they were dying because of this uh, virus. And other side, we can see every burial ground, funeral services happening. It is very painful time. And the government decided to do a complete intense lockdown. Intense lockdown brought hunger and starvation in the lives of the people. This is our church. We decided let's come together in this crisis. Let's show Christ's love to the people. This is the greatest time whereby we can help the community and show Christ's love and share the gospel. Thank you so much for helping us. Thank you for your generosity. Because of that, we could be able to feed thousands and thousands of people. And we, our, our guys, our volunteers, frontline workers, are packing the stuff. Next one week, we are going to feed 20,000 families so that one week or two weeks they can sustain. Thank you so much for your help. That's Pastor Sonny, a friend of mine in India. Pastor Lau and I did a trip out there several years to do ministry with him, and we support the work here. And you know in India the coronavirus has spread like crazy. People are dying. They don't have enough resources. Starvation is hitting the land. And so your blessings, the gift that we support, goes out to support these ministries that are saving lives. Think about the story we're going to read about here. There was famine and starvation going in Jerusalem, and the church in Corinth is beginning to pour out resources in the church of Jerusalem to save lives, not only to save physical life, but spiritual life. That's what we're doing here in San Diego. We're sending resources to India to not only save physical life, but spiritual life. It's the same concept you're getting here. And so generosity is a ministry. Look at verses 1 and 2. It says, now concerning the ministry to the saints, it's superfluous for me to write to you, for I know your willingness about which I boast of you to the Macedonians and to Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. Paul the Apostle is writing to the Corinthian church, and he's saying, listen, man, let's talk about the ministry to the saints. Let's talk about the ministry to the brothers and sisters. Man, I, I don't have to write to you, and he's writing here, but I want to bring up what's going on. Because of your willingness, because of your desires to help the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem, something crazy has happened. Something marvelous is happening here. That people have been provoked to give. He says, I know your willingness about which I boast you, Master, that okay, we're steady a years ago, and your zeal has stirred up the majority. The Macedonians were located in the northern part of Greek. Achaia was located in the southern part of Greece. This is where the Corinthian church was. And their example prompted ministry. Their, their generosity prompted ministry. Their giving prompted ministry. And what Paul is saying is, I've just been boasting I've been bragging about what you've done to serve the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And because I'm just talking about how good you begin, it provoked them to join in, to collaborate, to say, man, we want to help also. Sometimes when we do ministry in all different parts of different ways, it just becomes contagious. 
It was becoming contagious here that it began to begin to prompt others to give of the spouse. In fact, their willingness gave in, their willingness inspired others to give. You only got to go back to chapter eight, which is really part of where you really begin in the giving of generosity of disciples. It talks about the testimony of the Macedonian church and the church of these Greek cities. It says in verses 1 through 4, I, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in great trial of affliction and of abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abound in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, to what they had, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we should receive the gift and the string to the saints, not only to, as, not only as we have hoped, but first gave themselves to the Lord, and then to us by the will of God. Paul is writing in chapter 8 about the testimony of the Macedonian church and how they were so willing, and they even gave out of their ability and, and even what they didn't have. They dug deep into their pockets and said, like, I'm going to make some sacrifices in my giving. But you know what? went before the Lord. They went before the Lord, and the Lord prompted them to give out of their pockets. See, that's prompts as the Lord, as the Lord puts on the heart. And we, we begin to see this testimony of the, the church of Macedonia. But we also know that generosity takes commitment. The generosity takes commitment. We see that in verses 3 and 4. Yet I sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in respect that, as I said, you may be ready, lest if some in Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to mention you, should be ashamed of this confident boasting. Paul was saying, man, we talked about your giving. I'm going to send a brother. He's talking about Titus here, brethren. I'm going to send Titus to you, and he's going to go and collect offerings for Jerusalem. But I'm not going to come. I'm going to send this brother to you. But I don't want him to show up, and they have to take an offering then. I want them to show up and the offering's already been done. Because I've already been boasting about your commitment. I've already been boasting about your heart. I've already been boasting. And you know what Paul's saying is, I don't want to look bad if I've been boasting. I don't want to look like, like you know, I've been talking about how good you are, and then you're not prepared when people come, right? Your commitment to others is a blessing for others. Your commitment when you tithe and give is a blessing to so many, right? I said that giving is a commitment. And remember, we give, out, we give by, out of what we have. In fact, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2 says this. Now, concerning the collections for the saints, again, ministry for the saints, as I've given orders to the churches in Galatia, so you must do also on this first day of the week, this is the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, as he may prosper, that there be no collection when I come. As God has blessed you, be a blessing to others. As God has been generous to you, be generous to others. As he has prospered you. Intentional in the sense that it's the first day of the week. What has God put on your heart to give? And what has God laid on your heart to This isn't a guilt thing. This isn't a manipulative thing. This is just a blessing is what it's all about. Randy Alcor said this, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. Like, 
Why? Because we are intentional, not compulsive, in our giving. We have prayed over our giving. We are purposeful in our giving. That's how God's called us to give. Paul writes this, let him who stole, steal, let him who stole, let him steal no longer, but rather let him working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give who has need. That's an interesting way of living, right? You work to give to help those in need. We think we work to build our own homes or our own kingdoms or our own name or whatever it is. But God says, no, a disciple works to be a blessing to others. A disciple works to say, to express his love to, to others. Winston Churchill said this, we make a living by what we get. We make a life by what we give. Right? Remember the words of the Lord Jesus. He said he, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Acts chapter 20, 35. But we have to also understand that generosity this morning, guys, the disciples' generosity is an act of love. It's an act of love. Look at verse 5. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort you, brethren, to go to, go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand. And when you had previously promised that it may be ready as a matter of generous and not as a grudging obligation. Not as a grudging obligation, right? Giving is not something we do reluctantly, reluctantly. We do it not unenthusiastically, but to give grudgingly is, is out of obligation. In fact, the word grudgingly means here, it, it actually translates to, to, to be greedy or covetous. It means to, to you know, when you give, you kind of, you, you take your money out and you give, but you're still holding on to that money. You know what I mean? When you want to give to your kids and they ask for something, you kind of give it and they grab the dollar bill or $2, dollar five, whatever that you're holding, but you won't let go. You're like, you know, you're doing this. You're not, in a, you're not in a tug of war with God about what you want to give. Right? That, that's, that's what's happening here. I, I, I picture Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5 story. You know, they said they sold their property. They sold that. And they said they'd give it all to the church, but really they kept some back secretly. It didn't work out too good for them if you read the story. If you haven't, go back to Acts chapter 5. They died by doing it. We're called to have a willing heart and a, a loving heart because it's an act of love, right? It was the church caring for the church. It was the brothers and sisters caring for the brothers and sisters. When Paul talks about our giving, he actually lays an order or standard of giving or a priority in giving. In fact, writing to, the, writing to the Galatian church, he writes this. As we have opportunity, as the doors open up, let us do good to all especially to those who are of the household of faith. Interesting. Yes, we want to help in our community. We want to help and reach out, and we do that. But really, it starts here with the family. He sets a priority to that. You know, we want, we want to help there, but do not neglect the needs of our own family and our own community. And that's part of our generosity. Guys, many of you in your life groups, when you meet, there was need in your life group, and you took care of those needs in the life group by caring and loving your brothers and sisters. That's what we're called to do. Discipleship is life on life. Discipleship and following Jesus is being with each other and doing life together and giving of one another and, and redistributing our resources to bless one another. We talked about that in Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47 a couple of weeks ago. So generosity is a ministry. Number two, here's the second thing. Generosity is, displayed, is a display of joyous faith. 
display of joyous faith in verses 6 through 11. Chapter 9, verses 6 through 11. The story of a wise woman who was traveling in the mountains found a precious stone in a stream. And the next day she met another traveler who was hungry. And the, five, the, and the wise woman opened her bag to share their food. And the hungry traveler saw the precious stone and asked the woman to give it to him. She did so without hesitation. And the traveler left rejoicing in good fortune. He knew the stone was worth enough to give him security for a lifetime. But a few days later, he came back to return the stone to the wise woman. He goes, I've been thinking, he said, I know how valuable this stone is, but I give it back and hope that you can give me something even more precious. Give me what you have within you that enabled you to give me the stone. Listen, our generosity begins with a changed heart. Jesus said, for where your treasures, there your heart will be. There your heart would be. I want you to understand, first of all, that generosity is a step of faith. Generosity is a faith step. Look at verse 6. But this I say, Paul writing, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Right? We see the principle of sowing and reaping. We know that there are physical laws. We know there's magnetism. We know there's gravity. Those are physical laws. But there's also spiritual laws that God has for us. Now, I, I don't know how, how, how gravity, all the functions of gravity work, but I know that it's real. Right? I don't know all the details about how the electricity works in here, but I know there's power that comes to make the electricity work. There's spiritual laws that happen that God gives us that I may not know all the details of it, but I know it works. And Paul is giving some challenge here about faith. Because what you invest in is what you will get out. What you put in is what you will get out. How, how invested are you in God's kingdom? How invested are you in the things of the Lord? He's using this agricultural illustration, Paul, because they were a in society. They were a farming society when Jesus was in the Middle East. And basically he's saying the more seed that you plant, you might think you're losing because you're taking seed out of your hand and putting it in the ground. I'm losing something, but really by losing, you're gaining. Guys, by being open-handed, you're able to receive as much as you're able to give. See, we have to, let, we have to give the ministry. We have to be open-handed with our ministry because if I'm closed-handed with my ministry, I actually choke out the ministry. But if I'm open-handed with it, and it's God's ministry, if my hands are open, I also have means by which God can give as much as I can give. If that's a principle that you could have in your own life, in your own family, that you have a, a hand and a heart willing to give. As the, as the farmer is laying seed out into the ground, he might feel like he's losing the seed and leaves his hands, but proper faith knows that there's a harvest is coming. <laughs> There is a spiritual economy in God's kingdom, right? There is a spiritual economy in God's kingdom, and we're called to be spiritual investors. I'm not asking you to play the market, but I'm asking you to invest here. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, it says, Give and it will be given to you, good measured, pressed down, shaken together, 
and running over will put into your bosom, for with the same measure that you use, it will measure back to you. Now, Paul is not advocating here for a prosperity gospel. He's not advocating the fact that if, if you give more, you'll get more. You know, I'm not going to say, if you just pour a seed into this ministry. How many times have you heard that on TV? If this ministry is going to go under if you just don't give. you got to save this ministry. Sow a seed into it. Guys, don't be fooled by what you see on TV. I don't have a God in poverty. I have a God that's very, very wealthy. And I don't have to beg for my God. I don't have to manipulate for my God. I don't have to make you feel guilty. That's not what I'm here. I'm teaching that you will feel blessed. But God's doing just fine. He doesn't need my help. And sometimes when we look at these passages, it almost feels like, well, if I give, then I'm going to receive. He's not promising you a bigger house or a nicer car. He's not eliminating the fact that if you give, you won't go through suffering or even have good health. He's not saying any of those things, right? But he's not negating the fact that there is a blessing that comes out of our giving. Amen. And he describes that that blessing is bountiful. Maybe the bounty is not on this side of heaven. Maybe it's eternal. We'll see that promise laid out in verses 8 through 11 in a minute here. But I want you to understand this. Generosity is a hard issue. Generosity is a hard issue. Look at verse 7. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful giver. Let each one give. What is he saying? We all have personal responsibility in what we do with the resources we've been giving. We have personal responsibility. Purpose in our hearts. Right? What have we determined in our hearts? What have we been praying for? He's getting personal now. Paul's getting personal right now. He's not speaking to the general population. He says, he said, let's, let's, let's talk about you. What is, God, what is God doing in your own heart? Right? Because our generosity is response out of our, our own heart. I want you just to, to give with a, an honest intent. Don't have mixed motives in your giving. Sometimes we can give with other expectations. But let me tell you something. What's the motive in our giving? What do we value the most? Maybe our checkbook and our credit card will tell us what we value the most. Haggai the prophet challenged the, the Israelites or God's people he says, you cared for your own homes, but you ne neglected God's house. Then he said, consider your ways. <laughs> Read it in the book of Haggai, the prophets. Consider your ways. God, just consider my way, Lord. Am I right? Search me, O oh God. And if there's any evil thing in me, work it out in me, Lord. Right? But he gives us how not to give in this text. If we're to be generous things, we're to have a heart for God and give. But he also tells us how not to give. Not, grudging, not grudgingly with sadness or sorrow. There's no joy in that, in our giving when we do it that way. See, Paul is not looking for you to be downcast in your giving. 
being bummed out in your giving, right? That's not what he's, that's not what he's looking for. But he's also not going to coerce and manipulate you to give. That's what it means to give out of a necessity, compulsion. Guys, this church is not going to do that. It's not. During this whole COVID season, we have not taken up one offering. You can give online. We have not done. Let me tell you what's happened. You have blessed the church. Our giving went up during the COVID season. Because I've seen the generosity of the people. The generosity of them to support the ministries and give to the ministry in that time. Thank you for your generosity. That's just a testimony of the church here in this family, of your generous giving. But he does command us on how to give. With a cheerful heart, a cheerful giving. That word cheerful is the word we get hilarious. Hilarious giving. It should be joyful. It shouldn't be painful. It should be a party <laughs> in our giving. You know what, the, you know what our giving does? It, 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 it's our chance to make God look good. It's our chance to make God look good. Church, our generosity makes the gospel appealing. Not because we get, because we give. It's a testimony to the world. It's a testimony to the world. It's a testimony to that waiter when you tip her. Don't leave her a track, tip her. Okay? I know people leave tracks and then they don't tip. And I know what you're thinking. Tipping got up to 18%, right? Right? And some of you are like, man, only God wants 10. Why you want 18? <laughs> Be generous. Be generous. Okay? Listen, generosity will be rewarded. Look at verses 8 through 11. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now may you supply seed to the sower, bread for food, supply and multiply the seeds you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. A couple things in our giving. In your, in your generosity, guys, God will care for your needs. <laughs> God will care for your needs. Amen. Pastor, you don't understand. I, I, have, I have a rent bill. I have electrical bills. I have food. And there's nothing left to give. But what does it say here? What's the promise here? God will give abounding grace for you. Favor on your life. God will take care of your basic needs. He will take care of your basic needs. When Julie and I started New Vision almost 13 years ago, we started with no money in the account, and the Cross family with us, LaSalle, the Popes, the Landises, they remember those seasons. And I'm like, Lord, I don't know how we're going to make this electrical bill. But we did one thing. We always did one thing. We always gave of our tithes, Julie and I, unto the Lord. Whatever you give, we're going to give unto the Lord. There were times we woke up on the morning and there was groceries on our front steps. There was times, supernaturally, there was a miracle in our account to pay the bills. Every bill got paid. I'm not saying it got paid on time, but it got paid. 
But God took care of us. But we never wanted to compromise our giving. It's always unto the Lord first. When you lay out your budget, is your giving unto the Lord in that budget? Or is it your leftovers? Is it your sloppy agape? Your sloppy love? Right? God will take care of your need. He says that in verse 8 and 9. In fact, Matthew 6, 25 and 26 says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, which you will put on. You're talking about your clothing. Is not life more than the food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. For neither they sow nor reap nor they gather into barns. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? God will knows your needs. God knows what's out there. God will give you what you need for the day. That's why the Lord's Prayer says our daily bread. Our daily bread. Remember that. Right? The word here, sufficiency, means God will provide everything you need for happiness and contentment. Maybe the greatest thing is we need is contentment for what God has given us. That we are called to be cheerful givers. And a cheerful giver is rewarded. He's quoting Psalm 112.9 here in the passage. Because when one cares for those in need, he will be remembered. <laughs> he will be remembered. I want to encourage you with that. But also, here's another thing. You will be enriched in every way with generosity. You will be enriched. God is the supplier of all things. So be open-handed with your giving. Our giving is a righteous act that God will reward. He talks about it. he'll multiply your resources. When they fed the 5,000 with a few fish and loaves, can you imagine they kept reaching into the fish tacos and they kept pulling out more fish tacos? <laughs> and they kept coming and they kept coming and they kept coming. Enough to send some doggy bags home with the disciples. It just kept flowing out. I can't tell you, but that's the supernatural thing, how God works. Right? He replenishes our generosity is what he's saying. He keeps filling it up. You can never outgive God. You can never outgive God. And when you give in the name of Jesus, they will thank Jesus. And they will thank God. And God will be praised so there's something happening in the hearts of the people when you begin to give. It's called a heart transformation. But lastly, as we close this morning, generosity will benefit everyone. 2 Corinthians 9, 12 through 15. You know, I go visit my dad once a month because I'm caring for him after my mom passed. And he loves to go to McDonald's for breakfast. <laughs> Not good for him, but he loves to do it. And so we go in the car, and we drive in, and we're going through. What do they do is he orders the, we order the um, uh, uh, Egg McMuffin, the big breakfast, right? And they always say, you want to supersize it, <laughs> right? You order the combo meal, but they always ask you, do you want to supersize it? Do you want to make it larger? I think our generosity is the same question. Do you want to supersize your faith? Do you want to make your faith larger? Do you want to make Jesus larger in our life? People will get the whole meal package, faith, hope, and love. You see, giving is not God's way of raising cash. It's his way of raising us. 
He knows what we need to grow him. Generosity benefits everyone. And we have an opportunity to give. And we, if we don't, we're saying we don't want to grow, but stay small. God's way of keeping us supersized. That's what he's doing in our life. So here, how does he keep us large? Number one, generosity provides care for the needs of the saints. Look at verse 12, first part of verse 12. For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, right? Giving provides resource for the ministry. The, 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 the word administration means ministry of service. It's another word for ministry. And the, the, the needs of the people were met by the needs of the people, of the ministry of the people, and the word supply here means fully supplied. The needs were cared for all around. In fact, when they fed the 44,000, I mean the 5,000, it says that they were all satisfied. Like Thanksgiving Day. Right? They were full. When we care for one, one another, we're bringing satisfaction. But here's another thing. Generosity is God's way for us to get involved. Generosity is, for, is God's way for us to get involved. Giving is a service for others. It's, 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 but it, it, let me tell you something. I think the problem with giving sometimes is we, we want to give but not have relationship. A lot of times people will just give. Well, and then, guys, they give their junk. They don't give their best. Oh, I don't like this. So I'll just give it to the church. You hear that? You know what I mean? Like, then we got to get rid of it. <laughs> right? A guy, a guy wanted a couple days, wanted, a week, a couple weeks ago, wanted to give me a car. I said, oh, great. And then I asked, does it run? <laughs> well, no, you have to do some work on it. It's going to cost me more to get that car running than it is to be used. The, the church isn't where you dump your jump junk at, right? There's a junkyard for that. Okay. But it's also not an excuse for us not to build relationships with one another. It's not a transactional relationship. If I give, then I've done my duty, but I want nothing to do with you. They met house to house and temple to temple, and every need was met, meaning they had relationship with one another, and the giving came out of the relationship with one another. It just wasn't a transactional relationship. It was a relational business that was going on. I don't just want you to feel better because you give. I want you to feel better because you learn to love each other. And be in each other's lives. That's what the gospel is. That's what it. That's what relationship is. But here's the second thing: generosity causes great worship to God. Look at part of twelve. But also abounding through many thanksgiving to God. Giving redirected people's worship. It redirected people's worship. Right. It pointed them to God. The giver and the recipient had a thankful heart. Look at the two together. They both had a thankful heart. See, your blessings to others will bring blessings to God. The Bible says that we can bless God, that we can do ministry to God, right? There was a unity among the people. Caring for others prompted praise to God. And this caused great celebration and worship. But let me also tell you this. Generosity keeps you from temptation. Your generosity keeps you from temptation. You remember in Genesis chapter 14, Abraham has just rescued Lot from being kidnapped. 
And then after he gets out of this, he has an encounter with a king of Salem named Melchizedek. His name means the, the praise of God or the most high. Some believe that this Melchizedek in Genesis 14 is actually Jesus in the Old Testament. And Melchizedek blesses Abraham. And in response to Abraham, that blessing, Abraham turns around and gives him a tithe of what he had. A, give, a giving or a blessing to this. But right after that happened, the king of Sodom appeared to Abraham and requested to give, me, to give all his people to him that he rescued. And he said, if you give me all the people you rescued, I will give you the land. I will give you blessings. And Abraham said this. Abraham replied to the king of Sodom, I solely swear to the Lord God most high, creator of heavens and earth, that I will not take so much as single thread or sandal thong from what belongs to you. Otherwise, you might say, I am the one who made Abraham rich. Abraham was tempted to give to the king of Sodom just like today. TV, social media, all that we see, let me give you what, what we have to offer. Test us. Let me give you here. And what do we do? We use, our, we, we use our credit cards to buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. Let me tell you something. Because Abraham gave to the king of Salem, he didn't fall into the temptation of the king of Sodom. Abraham kept his priorities straight and he worshiped God. Our generosity with keeping Christ centered in our generosity keeps us from being bamboozled with other things. With our dealing with our own discontentment, dealing with things we really don't need. But here's the last thing as it relates to the benefit of others, or the second, third thing. Generosity is evidence of transformational gospel. Generosity is the evidence of a transformational gospel. Look at verse 13. Well, through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for obedience of their confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. They're giving validated the proof of their faith. Your obedience in giving opens up the door for the gospel. Your humble giving will mark your faith and open up the doors for more confessions of faith. Now look what's happening here. Remember the context. Greek church blessing a Jewish church. You have Gentiles blessing Jews. Wow. Remember the Jews and the Gentiles hated one another. Before Christ came and mended that relationship, the generosity was breaking down the walls of hostility by giving. The gospel transforms life. And liberal sharing here, it says they gave liberally, is the same word for konia, that they did life on life sharing. They were from every ethnicity blessing other people. That's what the world needs to see right now, the unity of the church, of all people being one in their giving and their blessings. Listen, your generosity will make a way to glorify God. Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. See, I want you to catch this. Our, our giving is not to glorify ourselves, but to give God glory. You know what? People give sometimes to get their names on buildings or their names on chairs, and they will get the honor then. But like the poor woman who came into the temple and gave her might in the offering box got more recognition from Jesus than the religious leaders who gave their money. Why? Because she gave a gift that was sacrificial. 
and honor God. And here's the last thing, guys. Generosity. Generosity prompted prayer ministry. Generosity prompted a prayer ministry in 14 and 15. And by their prayers for you, who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Generosity will prompt unity. Generosity will prompt unity. It started a thankful prayer ministry is what it did. Jews praying for Gentiles, Gentiles praying for Jews. They lifted each other in prayer. Thank you, God, for the gift of grace that's indescribable. Grace is this unmerited favor. But I want to close it with this as we bring it all together, guys. Jesus is the unmerited gift from God. God had a motive in his giving, and he gave it by giving his only son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Right? 2 Corinthians chapter 9, the chapter before, in verse 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though, though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. He gave of himself to be a blessing to you. When there was a great need, God sent his gift to meet that need, and Jesus was that gift. Our Heavenly Father is generous. He's generous. Thank be God. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. In fact, this word indescribable, this word created by Paul, was not found in any other language at that time. He made it up to describe, because he couldn't even describe the blessing. He said, I'm going to make up. We read it now, but in that culture, there was no language to describe indescribable. He says, this is how good God is. I'm going to make this. You know how you guys make up words sometimes? He made up a word just to, to describe God's goodness and generosity. And sometimes this gift is just way too hard to understand. Paul prayed that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Ultimate gift of a heavenly father was so generous that you would understand his love, and that's hard to grasp sometimes too, his love for us. So we close with these three challenges, guys, this morning. Number one, God opens up doors for us to be generous. He opens up doors for us to be generous this morning. What can you do this week to show your generosity? What can you do this week to show your generosity? Number two, cheerful givers or generous givers take faith steps. Take faith steps. What area in your giving do you need to trust God in? What area of your giving do you need to give over to God? And the third thing this morning, generosity benefits everyone. How can you use your generosity to share the gospel? To share the gospel. Let's pray. Father heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for your love and your blessings and your goodness and mercy and grace, Lord. And I ask your blessings upon your people, Lord, this morning. Lord, I thank you for your fathers this morning. May you be blessed and may you bless them. Lord, I thank you for your generous gift of love by setting example as a father, a heavenly father, sending your own son that we can experience that greatest gift 
that generous gift of love through your son that we might have life. And I pray that that begins to set the motive by our own generosity, Lord, that we will be a blessing to others. Thanks again for joining us. Contact us or learn more at our website, newvision.city. See you next time.